Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every week me and Miss Boo take turns picking films to watch and talk about. Some are good, some are bad, but they are always fun at the Film Club. But we are on our countdown to Halloween, so for now, you can forget about the Film Club, because this week, we are the Horror Club. <laughs> yes, more. So, Boo, how are you doing? Oh, uh, you know, I'm kind of so-so today. I'm a little sad that our 80s horror month is coming to an end. Yeah, it's been a very interesting ride. It's been fun. Yeah, definitely fun. But I'm also a little excited about today's pick. Me too. This is one of my uh, personal favorites around the Halloween season. Really? Just around the Halloween season? I might watch it once or twice a year. It's It's a good one. I really enjoy this movie. So what are we watching today? Well, what we're watching is John Landis's American Werewolf in London. Uh, it is a horror comedy film. Love story. Love story. And it's just awesome. Yeah, uh, this movie came out in 81. And it... I, I can't think of many movies like it. It's great. I really dig this movie. I mean, it, it really kind of, you know, boosted the game of the horror community. Because it was also the first horror movie to win an Oscar. Was it the first? I believe so. I mean, it also kicked off the category of best makeup. Yeah, it did. Uh, I believe it was um, Sean Baker, Rob Baker. It was Rick Baker. Rick Baker. Sorry, it was one of those. I really should know his name because that's the same guy that did um, the special effects in Star Wars, the makeup yeah. effects. Uh, he's, he's the reason we have Chewbacca. He is. And later, much later, we, he would win again in 2010 for The Wolfman starring Benicio Del Toro. He's really good at making werewolves. Scary-ass werewolves. Yes. And this movie is is a lot of fun. I really dig this movie. I, I agree. I love this movie. Um, we also met David Naughton, who stars in this movie. We did. We met him at one of those horror pop-ups, right? Yeah, we met him at a Spooky Boo event in Anaheim. And mm-hmm. super nice guy. Super nice. And but we got there, and it, I think it was like right when it opened. Yeah. And it was weird, because usually when they open, oh, people rush to the signing booth. Mm-hmm. And we were, like, the first ones over there, even yeah. though we were, like, the last in line. And it was so, like, weird, because we got to, like, talk to him for, like, 20 minutes. Yeah, I couldn't believe that everyone broke off as soon as we got in there to go, like, to the craft booths. And, I mean, granted, the people that go to these events, very talented. I wish I had the talent that they had, but... Mm-hmm. We've got the guy that starred in American Werewolf. Yeah, and he's really good in this movie. Yeah. Very good in this movie. And, yeah, we, we talked to him for like 20 minutes. He was like a super cool guy. So, like, very good experience meeting that, that gentleman. It was, and I was very star- starstruck when I met him, and I couldn't even ask him any of the questions I'd thought up the night before. Yeah, when we go to these things, Boo has a whole... Um, you know, Lois Lane Q&A thing ready to go, and she'll maybe squeeze out, like, half of a question before she's like, oh my god, you're famous. Not even that. It's just, I love you so much. I love the movie. And then it's just like, dude, you just let yourself down. You let the community down. You didn't ask a question. We always, we always, you know, let you down. It's gonna be great. I know, but Dean actually got to tell him how his film helped him graduate. Yeah, uh, so when I was in film school, one of the requirements, I had to write a, like, a term paper uh, that basically critically analyzed the a film, right? I Top to bottom, you have to talk about, like, themes, production, all this other stuff. And the film I um, picked was American Werewolf in London, 
because they said, oh, pick, pick a film on this, like, list or whatever. And it was a list of, like, 100-something movies. And obviously, I was the last kid to pick because I was... Of course. I was lazy. So I got American Wolf in London, and yeah, I got a, I got an A on that paper, and it helped me graduate. And I told him that, and he was like, really? Really? They You got an A on a paper for this movie? Oh, that's cool. Well, badass. Congratulations. Like, oh, thank you. It's you super see, cool. You brought your DVD to get signed. You should have brought that paper to get signed. I should have brought that paper. If I didn't if I didn't throw it away after I wrote it, I probably would have would have brought it. Oof. Big yikes. But that's neither here nor there. What we what we got here is a is a real good movie. Oscar winning movie. Yes. So where do you want to start? I think we have to start with the characters. The characters are so iconic in this mm-hmm. movie. Not like we have a ton. We have the small village, we have the city. Yeah. And it's really a small core group of characters in this movie. Yeah, realistically we have what? We have David, we have Jack, we have Um Alex. Yeah, the nurse. Mm-hmm. And we, we have, have the, the doctor. doctor. And that's basically it. That's the core group. Everyone else is like su like superfluous to the plot or they're just there for kind of like dressing. Yeah, I mean the, the village you kind of lump them together. Yeah. It is the the village is not a it is not a group of characters. The village is one character. Beware the moon. Beware the moon. Which is it's such a cool set. I really like the slaughtered lamb pub set cuz it looks so old and I'm like this actually looks like like the kind of like country pub you would find backpacking in England. And the the slaughtered lamb was actually just a cottage. Really? A cottage that they dressed for the movie. Hmm. And I'm not too sure. I haven't done my research on this. But there's also a Slaughtered Lamb pub in Greenwich Village in New York. Really? Yeah. So hmm. they have a picture of um, David and Jack in the pub. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, because I guess uh, Jack, who's played by... Oh, uh, that Jack is played by Griffin Dunn? Yeah, I guess... Um, I don't know if he still lives there. But that was his neighborhood in Greenwich Village. So oh, cool. They kind of threw that in there as like, hey, you know, hey, here you go. You were in this movie. We love it. So we're going to give you a little nod in our bar. That's that's an interesting thing about this movie because it is lots of people love this movie. Yeah. But it's one of these movies I feel a lot of people love it. But there's there's not a lot of like going back to it kind of thing. Have You, you know what I mean? Where it's a movie that a lot of people was like, oh, yeah, I really liked that when I was in high school or kid. But not many people really go back and like re rewatch it a lot i understand yeah it's kind of like um i'm trying i'm trying to think of a good example i guess like fright night like we talked about yeah. not too long ago was kind of like that oh yeah i liked it a lot when i was you know a kid like maybe maybe not me but maybe you were like oh yeah i liked it a lot as a kid but oh i haven't seen it in like five years it's a cult classic and some people don't really follow it as it progresses in the years and then mm-hmm. you do have people that oh no they're very much a part of this anytime that there's a new release of the DVD or a figure, because NECA did just drop the new David figure. Oh, really? Him as the full werewolf. Oh, that's badass. I'm thinking about getting it, because it's just, it's sweet. Nice. Oh, but yeah, um, the characters in this movie are great. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge fan of David Naughton uh, and his performance in this. Oh, yeah, it's a stunning performance. He's, he's so charming in yeah. this, and... Uh, it's it might go to like the writing and the direction but everyone feels like really natural and re- and very real yeah like the conversation that jack and david get into i'm like oh that's like a real human conversation it's not a movie conversation yeah where it's a lot more like oh there's a lot of expositionary stuff 
sprinkled in here and it's a lot of like subtextual stuff that's for the the film man but no it's just like oh no they're talking about this hot girl that they're gonna meet in italy mm-hmm. and that jack has been pining for and david's like bruh it ain't never gonna happen it's, it's a good combo and it doesn't happen doesn't happen Oh, she she plowed his she plowed one of his other friends at the at his funeral. It's true. How do you do that to a brother like that? I don't know, but sadly they don't make it too far after they leave the bar. They do not. And just kind of the struggle of the barmaid telling the people in the bar, we should warn them, we should protect them, and they're like, you know what? I guess it's murder. We can't let them know our secret that our town holds. They would have called us a bunch of nuts it's it's a really it's a really fun thing because it's it feels so universal monster monster movie and i mean the fact that they talk about lon cheney's wolfman in the movie yeah which is it's funny because that's like their baseline understanding of this is how werewolves work right like in the movies and they're like no dumbass it's you don't need a silver bullet just shoot him well i mean that's after the fact right this is when we get really really decomposed jack yeah. Which, which is also fun to see him, at, you know, decomposing in different stages throughout the movie. Yeah, and it's a really good makeup work. Yeah. Very good. And I also like it when he's in, when David's in the theater and it's all the victims from when he was a werewolf and yeah. it's the couple. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, oh, we're just so happy to be here. Oh, yeah, no, maybe you should, like, slit your wrist, drowning. Oh, yeah, honey. Pills. Yeah, that would be, pills. Pills will be perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's so much just pitch black comedy in this. And, you know, David Naughton, he's, like, you know, the centerpiece of that. Because everything is, like, either kind of a snarky comment or it's, uh, you know, like, a, everything has, like, a comedic turn to it. Which is yeah. just really good. Because it all helps the movie. It does. And it's it's so fun. I mean, even though it's a horror movie, it's got a lot of humor, a lot of heart to it. Well, the producers of the film thought it was going to be a, a huge failure because... They said it's too funny to be a horror film, but it's too scary to be a comedy. So they were like, it just sits in this weird genre bend that doesn't really like work. And you know, John Landis proved no, it it really works. It made him, it made the company a plenty of money. A lot of people saw it. A lot of people loved it. I mean, it also has like one of the greatest lines ever in a movie. Mm-hmm. I will not be threatened by a walking meatloaf. I feel that's your favorite line because it mentions meatloaf. I do love me some meatloaf. It's good. It's good but, stuff. But it's a good, you know, it's a good little jab. It is a good little jab. There's a lot of good little just like wilting one-liners in here. I really like it. Uh, you know, the fact that they make fun of, you know, Heathcliff on the moors. Mm-hmm. The fact that they're walking through the moors. It's just like, you know something bad is going to happen. Is that It might be a coyote. There are no coyotes in England, dumbass. Maybe it's the Hounds of the Baskerville. <laughs> Like, that kind of shit is just like, oh, that's that's good. That's just funny. I just like that. And just, you know, the two actors together, they feel like, you know, that they've been friends for years. Super genuine performance. Yeah. Super genuine. I mean, the, the first part of the movie when they get out of the truck with the sheep, mm-hmm. when they're, you know, saying farewell to the sheep as they're driving off. Bye, darling. See, see you come fall. Yeah, that was all ad-libbed between the two of them. Really? Yeah. So oh, it, wow. It was kind of nice to see that they were able to riff off of each other really well. Yeah, I won. I really wonder how much um, time they had to work together before like production started. Yeah. Because it feels like these guys have known each other for like a long time. And even you know the loss of Jack, it feels you know real. It feels yeah. like he just lost his best friend. 
it is also kind of, that might also explain why David's not super freaked out when it's zombie fucking Jack showing up. I was like, yeah, it's just Jack. He like, he looks a little bit weird. I mean, the final evolution of Jack that we get, you know, at the porno theater. Yeah. That's just like, oh, buddy, like you're really, really gone. Big yikes. But he's still <sighs> talking to him super chill. He's like, yeah, can I have your piece of toast? Oh, thanks, buddy. Eats it. Toast falls out of the hole in his throat. Everybody laughs. So gross, but so it's good so at the same gross time. and it's so funny. It's one of those. It's one of those movies where it really revels in like the black comedy of it all. And then we have Alex, who is David's love interest. Yes, uh, his nurse, who is like, oh, I know you've just been attacked by wolves, but uh, come to my bed, you you virile American. That's basically how the relationship starts, right? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I that is that might be my only gripe in this movie because. I think the love story between them, it's like, oh, it's so cute, it's really nice, but yeah, I think she was just just hankering for some for some American, or, you know, that or night. Or it's the, the Nightingale thing where, you know, she's the nurse and this is this poor, you know, defenseless patient and he's so cute, let me take care of him and Aww. oh my god, we're in love and yeah yeah their, their love story only lasts like, what, a couple of days? I think so. Maybe a week at the most? Oh, yeah and it's it is fun yeah you know it they, they make i feel that i feel that's a um i feel that's a good way to describe this movie it's a lot of fun it is a lot of fun i wonder how and that also feels like a reference to to like other movies because i think a lot of this movie is referencing other films you know it oh they mentioned like lon cheney i wonder if the nightingale thing is is a riff off of another movie but Sorry I interrupted you. I was going on a mental tangent after I mean, you. I, I mean, I took the Nightingale thing from Back to the Future, which wouldn't come out until four years later. Exactly. <sighs> so much fun. So much fun. But I just feel bad that their love story got cut short by him becoming a werewolf. Yeah. I mean, you can always watch the sequel that no one was involved in. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah, it's American Werewolf in Paris. Paris. Yeah, I think... I don't even think John Landis had anything to do with it. I think the... This movie made a bunch of money, and they just greenlit the second one. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I know that there was an issue when this movie was being made, because they wouldn't give out as many uh, working visas to Americans when they were trying to come over. Mm -hmm. So, I think it was maybe um, Jack's character that they didn't want to give him his working visa. They're like, you know what, there's plenty of American actors that live here in London. Mm -hmm. Just hire one of them. And John Landis was like, you know what? I could just change it to an American werewolf in Paris, and the Parisian people are going to be a lot more, you know, forthcoming. A lot more welcoming. And then they're like, okay, we'll grant him, you know, the the, the, working, the visa. working visa. So I thought, you know, okay, cool. You know, we get American werewolf in Paris a couple years down the line. <laughs> which, which was basically just John Landis's, like, call my bluff, uh -huh. I dare you. Yeah. I mean, this movie did have a little bit of a production hell going on because Landis wrote the script in, like, 69. He did, and he also wanted the the terrible weather, so they shot, like, January through March. Yeah, in, in, in the north of England. Yeah, in Wales. So it's just, like, freezing, uh, you know, uh, David has to be naked for a good majority of this movie. He's running through the streets of London, or he's running through the fucking woods. And I was reading an interview where, yeah, he had to be stark naked, barefoot, and he's like, you know, even back in California, I don't run barefoot. So he, they were telling him, you're super warm, you're super warm, this is a dream, it's not happening, just run through the forest. And he's like, in my head, I'm freezing, ow, ow, I just stepped on this, ow. Yeah. So I'm like, 
That would probably be the worst. On top of having to be naked in front of people. Yeah. Just, you know, getting poked and jabbed by whatever is on the floor is for. Yeah, and that, that's that gotta have been, like, because uh, I understand this is probably a difficult shoot. Because, obviously, the, the elements, you know, they have to, getting people to the set, first of all, because, yeah. you know, they're filming on real location. And all the visa stuff, all the permits they probably had to get, I could see this have been a very difficult, like, shoot. You want to know one of the most difficult things that they had, apart from the visas and all of that. Oh, God, it had to have been, like, the animatronics or the or the, or the makeup effects going well, into this. That, too. It was getting the rights to Blue Moon from Elvis Presley. Oh, sweet Jesus. That probably would have been massive hell. They tried, and right away they got the no off the bat. What Did Elvis pass by that point? This was 81. I don't remember if he passed in the seventies. I think I thought he, I think he passed in like seventy seven. I might yeah. be I might be totally wrong. I actually don't know when Elvis passed off the top of my head. Yeah, so the guy that you know kind of like ran his music just wouldn't license it out, mm -hmm. and they really wanted his rendition, and they were just like, "Sorry, we're not going to do it for your movie." So he was very grateful to the other uh, singers that mm -hmm. he was able to get the the songs from. I mean, he got the Sam Cooke version. He did. Which is a great version of the song. So it's like, it would have been interesting to have the king in it. Yeah. I mean, you you got the king. You got you got Sam Cooke. You do. But. But then we get Bad Moon Rising also. Yeah, we get Bad Moon Rising, which you thought was the theme to this movie for the longest time. I did. I, I didn't realize how often Blue Moon is played throughout the movie. Yeah, it's played, it's played the most out of anything. It's literally like the theme song to the film. Bad Moon Rising is played in a montage, like a at montage one point. A montage leading into his transformation. Yeah, was that your Mandela effect? You just thought Bad Moon Rising was throughout the movie? I think so. Since that song's kind of like connected to when he first transforms, I thought, you know, okay, this is what we, you know, our theme that we're having throughout the movie, you know, once we finally hit that climactic point. Mm -hmm. Which, we don't see, you know, him turn into a werewolf about 45 minutes into the film. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. I'm wondering if it was a thing where, obviously, it was probably a pain in the in the ass yeah. to get all the makeup effects and all the animatronics and all the um, wolf prosthetics put together to actually, like, do the transformation. So I wonder if it was, like... Almost a, like a budgetary thing. That's why there wasn't a lot of transformations in the film. Yeah, I mean, because it's the 80s. It's not like now where there's a lot of... Um, you can plug and play a computer and it'll do it for you. Exactly. We have a lot of computer action going on now versus back then where it was a lot of puppetry and, you know, mechanics. And uh, Rick Baker told Griffin Dune, who plays Jack, you know, when he's getting attacked, you need to be very gentle because you can, you know, break the head of the werewolf. Cause... Which is so funny, because it looks like this werewolf is tearing him apart, and Jack's being flailed around and oh, all that yeah, stuff. Oh, it, yeah, it's horrific watching his death. But when they shot it the first time, I guess his reaction is very similar to what we see on the screen, just, you know, like, I'm being actually attacked. Well, probably seeing this thing in a on, even on a dark set is probably not a pleasant experience. Oh, no. I mean, this werewolf is horrifying. But during this, you know, this first go at it, he actually tore off some of the foam pieces of the werewolf head. Oof. And Rick Baker was just pissed at him. So they were like, you know what? We got to use our backup head, which, you know, isn't, is a little bit more durable. It's not going to break like the first one. Mm -hmm. 
So he proceeded to beat the hell out of him with the head during the second shot. So I think this is probably what we get in the movie because it's just so violent of an yeah. attack. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's really goes well to the actors and all the and all the people behind the scenes on this one because it it really is a visceral moment in the movie. That's one of the ones that really sticks with you is oh the werewolf attack. Yeah, like there's a bunch of moments in this movie that are just like like S tier movie moments that you can bring up and they're just like oh yeah like in- instantly like like iconic. The guy that gets attacked in the tube. Oh yeah, where you don't see the wolf. That one's super like unsettling, I, and it has like um uh, Evil Dead vibes to be honest. Yeah, kind of cool. Uh, it's being the guy being attacked in the tube, uh, the transformation obviously, yeah. uh, the one they're attacked on the moors, and I would even say the um when David wakes up in the zoo and his <laughs> entire escapade running back to the flat, buck naked, stealing the woman's coat, stealing the kids' balloons. <laughs> it it's just a really funny movie, um. So, so we talked a little about a little bit about the characters, and um, the I guess I I did have a question about the uh, story of this movie because it's billed as a horror comedy, and the producer said oh, it leads too far into one other, and it and it doesn't really mesh. And I was wondering, do you think they had a valid argument there? Because the movie is kind of muddled in its genre, because it feels like a horror film. It has all yeah. the tropes of a horror film, but all the dialogue and all the interactions are kind of played for laughs. No, I think it's a good mixture. I don't think it's, you know, too much one way or the other. Mm-hmm. It has comic relief where you need the relief, because if there was no comedy in this movie, it'd be absolutely terrifying. It'd be super depressing, too. Depressing, too. I mean, just like when we get the uh, the zombie werewolves, that's out of nowhere. The, the dream that he has. Oh, yeah. Or not the zombie, sorry, the, the Nazi werewolves. Yeah, which, that sequence is like... All right, John Landis. I know cocaine was a thing in in the when you were writing this. Like, were you were you doing that when you were writing this? Because that seems like a cocaine fever dream moment, right? Definitely. <laughs> I mean, I I remember the first time watching this and not expecting that at all. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's great because not just imagery. He works with sound too. You're expecting like, oh, okay, it's David at home with his family. We're having a flashback. Yeah. And then you know they just come flying in through the front door it's just loud you don't even see what's happening you just hear like this explosion yeah <sighs> and then uh david not in an interview said that he was terrified during that scene because the guy that had the uh the knife to his throat was kept complaining about his mask saying i can't see out of the eye holes and i guess that was a real knife and he was just like that would have been <laughs> shit shit feeling terror mm-hmm. oh uh wait so when was the first time you watched this movie? Because you mentioned oh. you didn't expect it going in. So I, how I must long have, of that? Must have been like maybe 13, 13, really? to, 13 to 15, somewhere in that area. Oh, okay. I saw, because I saw this like for, for like school. Like I was like oh. in college. I never saw it before. Oh, I thought you wa- you've watched this like, you know, going years back. No, no. This is, see, that's the thing that uh, um, a lot of people assume when I'm, when I, talk about movies is oh man you must uh oh you really like that movie you know so much about it oh you must have been watching this for years not really i'm just like ocd and i just absorb random movie facts yeah but no i just really like american werewolf in london i saw it i saw it in in class when we were like picking our films or whatever to do our papers on Mm -hmm. and i was like oh this movie's this movie's fucking great 
I literally bought the movie after, like, we got out of class, I drove to an FYE oh, and that's bought right. the movie. I remember, I was with you when we did that. Yeah, it was the same day, I think it was the same day I watched Harold and Maude, and I literally did that. Bought American Wolf in London and Harold and Maude, and I'm like, yeah, these, these movies are fantastic. S-tier films. They were. And, what was also unique about this movie, because, you know, we do have the porno theater. Yeah. With the, the film that's playing on the screen, which they did film this for this movie oh okay yeah i'd assume it wasn't a straight porno because yeah. you don't no see anything you don't see anything even you see breasts but you know to keep it an r-rated movie i mean there's there's tits in the regular movie too i, I know but apart from the porno being you know filmed for this movie first everything else was filmed in sequence really yeah that huh so I'm wondering if, because it was shot in sequence, that's how we get David and Jack to be more buddy-buddy, because they have the time to kind of grow together. Build the relationship yeah. and, like, that evolution of what's happening to Jake and how he interacts with David. Jack. Or Jack. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, no, I think that's 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 really interesting, because it it's a bold choice when you can um, shoot your film in sequence. Yeah. Um, I guess for people who don't know, filming in sequence is kind of kind of sucks ass yeah because sometimes you have in in a lot of movies you go to a location and then oh yeah in like you know 30 minutes later in the film you go back to that location when you're filming it you want to film everything all at once at one location so you don't have to go back and reshoot things and do this all this other shit but doing so doing it like in chronological order is really difficult because that means you have to literally okay, we're going to shoot your, your dialogue here, and then we're going to come back here in, like, two weeks to the same location, and then we're going to shoot the, the rest of the scene here yeah. that's going to come way later in the movie. And it's really jarring. A lot, like, I think 99% of movies you see are filmed out of sequence. I mean, alone, you know, shooting in the middle of Piccadilly Circus. That would have been a pain in the ass to get permits for. I imagine. Um, I, I saw an interview... David said that with um, Jack and his, like, final, you know, appearance and makeup, got plenty of people to move out of their way. People really? were just like, oh, like, no. Nope. He just looked, well, he looks so freaky. I mean, especially when he's standing in front of the theater mm -hmm. and David just turns and sees him there and he just kind of waves at him. It's like, oh, shit, I wouldn't go over there. But David's like, oh, it's Jack. I got to go talk to him about this. That's like the, um, that's like the thing that's hap that happened with, um, I think it was friday the 13th uh where um friday the 13th part three one of the the actor playing jason i think he like dislocated his shoulder or he like you know uh broke his finger mm -hmm. and he went to the er but it was after they had filmed the part where the axe is in his head yeah so the axe prosthetic is attached to his head and he's sitting in the er and there are people just staring at this like you know, six foot four, three hundred pound man with an axe buried into his skull, and they're not thinking, why aren't they rushing him to the back? Yeah, they're just like, is is he okay? And he's just like, and the nurse comes, and he's like, oh yeah, like I think I dislocated my finger, you know. And she's like, you got a headache or something? He's like, no, no, my head's totally fine. I'm good. I just, I just really need something for my finger. You got a brace or something? And it's, it's great, it's great, because I, I like, I like stories like that. Yeah. I think um, Arnold Schwarzenegger when he's doing, when he was doing Terminator would go to lunch in like full terminator gear so he's there and he has like the exposed eye thing going on I mean, with the robot cool. stuff yeah it's it's badass uh, but yeah uh, other than that other than that I back love to movies. the movie i love movies too back back to this movie which is a great movie 
Um, so you're you're of the opinion that the film really melds like that horror and comedy like superbly, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I think without the comedy, man, this would be like one scary ass movie. It would. I don't know how scary it would be, like how like terrifying it would be, because there's really good horror sequences in this. There's good horror sequences. They also kind of borrow from Jaws, where you don't mm. see the werewolf. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm of the opinion that you know, I'm I'm very jaded at this point mm-hmm. in my in my horror viewing lifetime. So at no point was I just like, ooh, I gotta look away from the screen here. Oh no, I I don't look away. <laughs> yeah, right. So I don't know how terrifying it would be. But I feel without the comedy aspect, it would be so depressing. Yeah. Because it's, it's urging David to, like, kill himself yeah. throughout the movie. And it's very, like, like it's a depressing thought, right? And Jack's very blunt about it. He's like, Super kill blunt. yourself. Yeah. Do it for the greater good. The greater good. The greater good. And I feel without, like, if this was a straight comedy, I feel there wouldn't be enough, like, there to really sustain a whole film like i don't think this like this i don't think would be better if it played like animal house or the blues brothers with werewolves i don't think it would play much better like that no but i do love both of those movies john landis directed them i know he had to direct them and get that level of success to get this movie made which i wonder i wonder why because um we we both agree that this is a great movie right yes but it, at the end of the day, it's it's a werewolf horror comedy thing that John Landis sat on the script for like 10 years yeah, and wanted to get made so badly that when he finally got basically the blank check, mm-hmm. he's like, hey, I've directed like some of the most successful comedies in the 70s, Animal House, Bruce Brothers, Kentucky Fried Movie. You know, I'm, I'm a known quantity in Hollywood. I can basically write my own my own way at this point. I want to direct American Werewolf in London. Yep. Why? Because like, who doesn't love horror? No, I under I understand that, but usually when people are like in that that level, it's yeah. like I'm gonna make my opus. You know, yeah. uh, Martin Scorsese, he's finally gonna make Silence or Gangs in New York or or uh, Raging Bull. He's like, I've made it this far. I can write my own way. Yeah. Um, another example is like. Tarantino. Taran- yeah, Tarantino. He's like, oh, you know, I did Reservoir Dogs. That was a big success. Tar- uh, Pulp I- Fiction. Pulp Fiction. You know, he's like, and then I'm going to make Jackie Brown because it's my love letter to, like, Pam Greer, old-style noir Once flicks. Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, Once Upon a Time. Well, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, at that point, um, Tarantino could release his home movies and it would make, like, millions of dollars. Yeah. That's not... Don't get me wrong. You know, it's, it's a labor of love kind of film, but it's not the same where he's like, yo, I had to make, like box office giants so i can make my little like you know personal film yeah this is like that film but it's you know it's a horror comedy werewolf movie so i'm wondering is there like a theme or message of what's underneath this where john landis is like i have to tell this story i don't know if there's some you know message underneath this Mm -hmm. i think it's probably just something that rings true you know close to him and he was like you know what i will go through the obstacles meanwhile making some great movies yeah i mean earth shattering you know there's hardly anyone that hasn't heard of animal house or 
the Blues Brothers, or what was the other one? Uh, Kentucky. Kentucky Fried K- Movie. Kentucky Fried. Uh, I think he also, di- he, I don't know if he directed the bad video. That might have been Scorsese. No, but he directed Thriller. He di- Oh, oh, that's right. Because Michael Jackson saw this movie. And, and loved American Wolf in London. He did, and he had his people, you know, he was like, hey, I need the people that directed this and his crew to come on for Thriller. And yeah, we got Thriller, I think, two years later? Yeah. You got to think about it. John Land is going into the '80s off of all the successes he had, and with this movie, he can write his own write his own way. Absolutely. So, I so are you of the opinion that there, if there's a deeper meaning message thing that's going on here, it's probably a personal thing to John Landis, and that's why he wanted to make it. I think so because mm-hmm. it's not like other directors where they get started in horror because they're trying to build up to becoming directors that can you know write their own ticket the sam raimi style where he started in horror because he knew he could sell a horror flick at his college campus exactly and you know this was kind of like okay i'm gonna do some of these you know heavy hitter box office movies so i can do the movie that really matters to me and yeah we got american werewolf which is an outstanding movie yeah um I think, okay, so we talked a little, we talked about, you know, the filmmaking, the filmmaker, a little bit about the production, characters. We talked about the story a little bit. Mm-hmm. I guess we talked more about, like, it, what the story is, is it a comedy or horror film, but is there any aspect of the movie you wanted to really, like, like dig on real quick? Mm, I mean, for me, you know, it's always trivia. Trivia is just my favorite. I, I know it is. But this is your pick, so if you have something that you want to run with, let's go for it. Well, I got, I think I got one here. Okay. All right, so this movie, filmed in chronological order. Mm-hmm. We have David Naughton, who, pro- who I believe before this, the thing he was most famous for was being the Dr. Dr. Pepper. Pepper. He was and, the Dr. Pepper guy, right? And that's how he got his role in the movie, because uh, John Landis saw the commercial, and he was like, you know what? He would really fit my American backpacker. Mm-hmm. So he didn't even have to go through like um like a an, uh, a casting thing. Yeah, no casting call. He he just called his um his manager and was like, "Hey, you know, I want to meet him for dinner." And they met and he was like, "Okay, well, you're in my movie now." Now, that's who I want to talk about because, you know, we got to meet David Naughton and he's a very nice, really personal guy. He told me beware the moon and I just nearly <laughs> fell to the ground. <laughs> yes, yes, it was great. And you know, he comes off as a very genuine person in yeah. the film, and I wonder if David is supposed to be a stand-in for John Landis in the movie in some way, because they hmm. do look like vaguely similar. You know, yeah. You know, they got they got like they kind of look the same. Dark hair, white guys, kind of tall. Yeah. So I wonder if this, I wonder if that played a role in John Landis casting him, or it might have just been a thing where. David just, David Naughton just comes off as just a very normal dude. All-American guy. Yeah, he, he doesn't look, he also doesn't look like a traditional movie star. I'm not, I'm not shooting, no. shooting bullets out here, am I? No. He doesn't I'm, look like Clark Gable or, or, you know, Paul Newman. No, I mean, he's an attractive man, but, you know, he's not like, oh my god, like, you know, Brad Pitt or something like that. It's just attractive all-american boy next door he yeah he he looks like this is weird he looks like the guy that um brewster from fright night would grow up to be oh uh, uh, charlie this, yeah this is my new this is my new headcanon uh 
American Werewolf in London is the sequel to Fright Night. This is the true sequel. So Charlie survives the vampires only to get turned into a werewolf. And got by the werewolves. That's the that's the headcanon. And Charlie would have turned into a vampire because he was bitten by Jerry. Dun, dun, dun. It's just coming full circle. Full circle. We're, we're here. We're seeing things. But you know what's kind of cool that I learned about this movie? Mm. So we know, you know, the, the poster, the DVD cover, it's always... Uh, David and Jack in their red and green parkas. Yeah, and they're looking back at the moon or, or something. Yeah, so they not only kept their, you know, their parkas, which oh, is really? awesome. You know, that's like one of the big props that you want to keep from the movie. Mm. The reason that David has the red uh, parka is kind of a, a kickback to uh, Little Red Riding Hood and the, oh. and the wolf. See, that's the thing, because we've gotten into this conversation before where I'm very much like, no, no, boo, everything has a reason to yeah. it, right? You know, everything on screen, there's a meaning. And you're just like, let, let's let be honest. The only reason that's on screen is because the director found it on set and was like, yo, like, we got to shoot in like 20 minutes. Just put it up there. Hey, that, that's how it happened for Chaplin when he was, you know, becoming the tramp. Yeah. What he is it? He just of, grabbed whatever he could find in yeah, the, you know, the stereo? Yeah, he found, you know, um, his derby, the cane. He had like the grease paint and, you know, he pulled together the tramp, which became an iconic character. Yeah. So, I I like that because that gives me faith that there is a much deeper, yeah. like, message and theming going on in the movie that I'm just missing. Which is why I need to rewatch this movie. I wrote a fucking, like, dissertation on this film. And I'm like, I understand I probably bullshitted most of that paper because <laughs> I don't remember a lot of it. But I'm, I really want to rewatch this movie and dig deeper. That That's a sign of a very good movie. Yeah, and, um... I guess John Landis and Rick Baker had known each other for quite some time. So when mm -hmm. he got the green light to make this movie, he called him. He called Rick Baker and he was like, "It's go time. We're actually gonna do this." Mm -hmm. And when they were doing like you know their their meetings for the werewolf, Rick Baker wanted him to be uh, bipedal. So oh yeah, standing on two legs. Yeah, standing on two legs. And John Landis was very against it. Obviously, he got his way because we have he's the know, direct. He's, he's the, the director. director. You're the makeup guy. I'll, I'll rank you. But I think also a big thing was that The Howling came out the same year. Yeah, and that that um, is a big thing that comes up when you bring up either of the two movies. Because yep. 81 was like, wait, there are two like, big werewolf films that have these um, like crazy werewolf transformation scenes it, in them. It's the same with Fright Night. Fright Night and Lost Boys. It's really weird that these two movies that on the surface are related but you know in detail they're very different films come out in the same years i wonder if that's like a thing with like the zeitgeist probably you know it yeah. just it's just happened it was time for a werewolf the year of the werewolf was yes. 81 uh vampires was 85 yes but yeah um i don't know i, I could keep rambling on about this movie but i don't know if people want to listen to that <laughs> so uh final thoughts boo great movie if you haven't seen it we both recommend you watch it. You're going to have a great time watching it. Some things may scare you. Like, you know, seeing uh, Jack, like, in the first attack makeup mm -hmm. when he comes to talk to David and you could just, like, see into his throat and everything. That made me wince a little bit. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you just have to remember it's prosthetics. Um, some of the set pieces were cranberry jelly. <laughs> it's not real. Oh, it's fine. Like, it... If you are, if you watched, if you're jaded like I am, you'll be fine. Well, I mean, what, 
what age do you think would uh, this movie would be appropriate for? Oh, if you're a teenager, this is this is perfect. Yeah. yeah. Any yeah, if you're thirteen up, you're totally fine watching this. I mean, if you're really young, you probably shouldn't watch this because like the sex scene in it is yeah, you know, very sensual. And but even that, not they, even that, they children. had to tame that back to keep the R rating. So it's yeah. like, my God, what were they doing? Yeah, honestly, <laughs> good on them. Good on them. I mean, there's a literal porno movie, porno movie going on in this film. The theater too. Yeah, so um, maybe not 13 now in hindsight, but <laughs> you know, teenage plus years, you'll be fine. One thing I thought that was great before we we close up for the day, uh, when David's turning into the werewolf for the first time. It's a very small moment in that scene, but I thought it was great when they pan over to Mickey Mouse. And it's like waving at him. And he just kind of looks like he's in horror standing there like, oh my god, this guy's turning into a werewolf. Yeah. I wonder I wonder how they got the Mickey Mouse, like the rights to use the little Mickey Mouse doll. Well, I mean, let alone in her apartment. She had um, a Gone with the Wind poster, a Casablanca poster. So... I mean, I, I guess... I don't actually don't know how that works if you just... If set you just, design with... If you set design and just throw it up there, yeah. anybody actually, like, will sue you over it? Because technically it's... You know, they sell those to the open market. Unless Warner Brothers owns the studio that made this film. They don't own Disney, I know that much. No, they do not. Yeah. But overall, great film. Two thumbs up. Watch it. What about you, since this is your pick? Oh, two thumbs up. Three thumbs up. I'll get another <laughs> hand in here. Yeah, no, this movie is fantastic. Highly recommend it. You should watch it this Halloween season. It'll really get you in the mood. It's a lot of fun. It definitely will. But next week, Boo, it is your pick. It is, and we're also starting a new theme month next month. We are. Which is going to be Undead September. Yes, we are. Can you believe it's September already? (sighs) Uh, Kind of. It is a... It's been a weird year, because last year felt like it took forever, and this year goes by so fast. Oh, yeah. But to start off on Dead September, we're going to be talking about a true classic with a true hero in it. Yes. We're going to be talking about The Mummy, the Brendan Fraser version. Yes, uh, the one starring Brendan Fraser, who's getting a career renaissance right now. Yes, all the troops are rallying behind Brendan Fraser. He's finally back. Yeah, I was so, I was so, like confused when i found out i was like oh yeah brendan fraser's coming back and i'm like where did he go because i i remember brendan fraser being a, in a bunch of movies in oh, like yeah. 99 2000 2001 2002 2003 and then like he just, he just he fell just off fell off that's going to be an interesting topic of conversation yeah because i feel the mummy is probably the movie he's most remembered for mummy the mummy franchise and maybe george of the jungle i mean for, but that one's for you know Children of a certain age yes. will remember George of the Jungle. And if children now haven't seen it, they gotta watch it. George of the Jungle is an amazing movie. I mean, when was the last time you watched it? Probably sometime on the Disney Channel when I was younger. Yeah, you might you might need to give that a rewatch before you recommend it. It might not. It, it might have not aged well. It's still good. It's still good. It's got Brendan Fraser in it. This is how Boo, Boo critiques movies. He's like, do I remember it as my as a child? Have I not seen it in twenty years? It's a masterpiece. Must be perfect. And he's got, you know, the massive six-pack that's always oiled. Yes. Uh, well, everyone, if you want to listen to that, where, <laughs> so, would you, where can they find us? Well, if you want to listen to us on a platform that you currently are listening to us on, we're on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
just about every podcast uh, streaming service that's out there. And we're on social media at the Film Club Podcast, on Instagram and Facebook. And I believe we're on one more location. Yes, we are. We are on YouTube. We have our YouTube channel in the frame. Um, that is the parent YouTube channel for all the podcasts that we do. Uh, we do this one, the Film Club Podcast. Me and my buddy David do the double feature podcast where we bring two films together, talk about them, break them down, compare and contrast them, and get a little little pretentious, you know, talking about themes and motifs. Uh, and then I'm also doing the Film Odyssey podcast with my brother where we're counting down the AFI Top 100, kind of exposing him to more movies because he doesn't watch movies really and kind of on his quest to figure out you know, what is the best movie? What is what is the greatest film of all time? So, it's a, it's a lot of fun. But, Boo? Other than that, we will see you next week at the Film Club. Peace. Beware the moon. Stay spooky. was there for